Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Quake Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone! Quake Cooper is the man! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah. Now, it is your host, I'm Mitch, Ando is with me this week. No Rev again this week, unfortunately. Life's being very hectic forever <laughs> at the moment, and Queensland is getting absolutely pelted by rain. So, all of our thoughts and prayers are with the people up in Queensland. But, for those that are with us tonight, Ando, how are you? How's your week been? Mate, doing really well. It's been a quiet weekend. Got to watch a heap of rugby yesterday, and we got to go out to the game on Friday night out at Leichhardt Oval, which was a great experience. So, it's been a good one. Have you dried out yet? Nah, nah. My my shoes are actually still soaking. Great. I think I might have to legitimately throw those shoes away that I wore. It, <laughs> like they are so damaged by Leichhardt's Hill. That yep. anyway, we worth will it. get into that. What was that? Worth it. Oh, worth it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Let's get into the social platforms, Ando. Take us through. Easy. Instagram hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook pick and drive rugby podcast and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. With that, I highly recommend that you get involved on Twitter um, because that's where we're putting a lot of our kind of time-critical posts up. So when we're putting things up about getting questions in to ask the coaches and players at the post-match press conferences, when we're talking about uh, fan meetups before the games, we generally do it on Twitter. So give us a give us a follow on Twitter, get involved, and we'd love to have a chat and meet up with you. Fantastic. That is 100% what I would say as well behind that all the way uh let's get into the super brew, super brew results for this week and ant-man has taken out the yellow cap so well done ant-man who has come away with this week's victory on nine points if we look at the top three at the top of the table we won't talk about where i am because it's very embarrassing um but well done to david esky who's at the top in first spot on 16 and a half points. He's jumped up 49 spots this round. So well done. You've nearly taken out half of the competition in this one round. One round. We've then got Ant-Man who has taken out the yellow cap and has won this round. Who's gone up 69 spots and he's also sharing uh, top spot with David Esky on 16 and a half points. And then coming up in third is Reds 2000 on 16.25 points. Brilliant. Well... What we're going to quickly shift to now is a huge and much-needed thank you. So last week, we launched our uh, donations platform because what we do here uh, takes a lot of time and effort, and we want to improve the quality of our production 
and the quality of what we can provide you as the listeners. And we basically put out a coffee plug, KO-FI plug. Basically, we guys could jump on to the website through the link that we provided, ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby and just donate any amount that you want. And we've had some absolute legends already jump on and um, throw a few dollars our way. So thank you so much. The great news is that all of the money that is donated through this platform is just going to go directly back into the pod in the form of um, better quality equipment, better quality opportunities. Like there's, we'll, we'll give you details of what we do with it um, mm. for a bit of transparency as yep. it happens. But thank you. So if you do want to get involved, it's not mandatory, but if you'd like to, just go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. All donations will be put straight back into the pod. Thanks for your support. Fantastic. And yeah, definitely a massive thank you to those who have already donated and supported the cause because the more that we are able to do this, the more we can spread the rugby gospel around and the more we can get involved with you, our fans. So we definitely appreciate that. Now, let's dive into what we're doing tonight because we do have quite a bit to get through. So we'll start off with the spicy news. We haven't done this section for a little while, but there has been some big news this week and we're looking forward to going through those points. We'll then dive into our round two review and talk through predominantly the Australian games. We might mention the Kiwi games if we get time at the end. We'll then go into our hot takes of the week. And last week's hot take was very juicy and Ando got quite (laughs) sprayed on social media, quite rightly, I think, in some regards. So let's see what he's got for this week and see if it can be as juicy as last week. We'll then move into the fanboy of the week where Ando has some amazing Basically bit of... Basically, a man crush on yet another Australian rugby player. It's going to be great. Look out for that So one. we're adding another man crush player to Ando's list of already crushing. Yep. 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 Basically. Oh, awesome. Yep. Good. Cool. Looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to that. And then we'll get into the locker room and answer your questions and comments from this round. Now, to find to, to finish off the intro section for tonight, I do want to drag your attention to something new that I'm doing on Facebook. It's called Getting Tipsy. So this week, hopefully, I'll be joined by Ando. Question marks yet to be confirmed. <laughs> Let me check but my I will calendar have right now. <laughs> a special guest on this week. Someone will join me. I won't just be sitting there talking by myself, but we will go through our tips for the weekend when we've got a bit more clarity around who's playing who and if games are cancelled and that sort of thing. So it's not being done on the Sunday night of the week before. So 8pm Thursday on Facebook, we'll go through our tips. We'll let you know who we're backing and why. And then you can get involved and let us know who you're backing as well. So definitely do get involved with that. And I think that's kind of it for the intro. Shall we just dive into the action? Yeah, let's get into it with our spicy news. Let's go. All right, we head now into our spicy news, and it is about time that Rugby Australia got their butts into gear and finally released the Build Corp Super W2022 draw. It's something that we've been kind of shouting out for for a long time, and finally it has been released. And it's pretty darn exciting, mate. There are going to be double headers on a whole bunch of the matches. So. Um, I'm really excited because I'm going to be heading out to Leichhardt Oval for the Tars versus Force match. And it's going to be a double header as well with the uh, women's matches being played at 4.15 straight after because I think the men's games is at 2. So I'm really excited. 
What did you think when they first released this draw, Mitch? Yeah, I was a little bit skeptical at first around the whole idea of the double headers because I am of the belief that the women's game is good enough a product on itself to stand on its own two legs and it should be able to play... The, the women's teams are good enough to play at their own stadiums at their own times and to have fans come and engage and, and watch the games being played. I think that the the quality of rugby on display is good enough for that. But then as, as I've heard a bit more explained through Stan Sports and how it's going to work, I'm getting more excited and, and I start to agree that this is probably the best approach with the double headers because it gives the... the how Stan's doing it is the, the commentators for the men's game are going to be commentating the women's game as well. So they're not bringing in specialist commentators just for the women's game. And we'll have Morgan Turanui and we'll have Drew Mitchell and Sean Maloney, possibly. Actually, I don't know if Sean's confirmed, but uh, we will have those guys invested in the Super W. They'll be able to promote it. They'll be able to do more an analysis in that side of the game. So I really think that will strengthen the product overall. Uh, and it might get more crowd there than if it was played by itself. That's still to be seen. I think it, in one way, this is probably a good... Uh, tester to see for next year if by playing them as double headers it does bring in more crowd uh, to the games and if they were played by themselves well there's going to be five rounds of regular matches uh, there will be a competition buy in round four which i did not include within those five rounds of games then second and third place will play off in a semi-final before the winner of that semi-final plays the first placed finishes in the grand final so it is a six-team competition with the fijiana and drua being brought in to add to the normal super uh, rugby comp uh, franchises. So I'm incredibly excited. Really recommend that people and punters get out to these games. It's a wonderful opportunity for our women to be getting some much needed match experience prior to the World Cup later on in the season. And I some other important. I am, before we move off this, sorry, Ando, to cut you off, I'm really excited by the inclusion of the Fijiana in Drua because they played a trial game against the Queensland Reds women's team last week. And from all reports, I think the final score was something like 46 to 5. So they're going to be competitive and they're going to hopefully lift the level of the competition and maybe give the Waratahs something to really push for come the finals and the semifinals and finals. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really good um, opportunity for them. And I didn't think it was that much. I'm trying to get the quick screen. Ah, whatever, I guess. Either way, they're an exciting addition and your point definitely still stands. So let's move on now to a couple of other important points and news that we wanted to touch on. Firstly, the international eligibility laws, previously known as the Gitto Law, which should really now be uh, renamed the Arnold Amendment, have come into effect. And so coaches of the Wallabies, the Wallaroos and the Australian Sevens teams will be able to select three players to be chosen from overseas per tournament, series or competition. The players must have a minimum of 30 test caps or have completed a minimum of five years service to Australian rugby. National coaches will also be able to select any Australian player that currently plays overseas but has contractually committed to playing for an Australian-based franchise for the following year. Thank you, theraw.com.au. Mitch, thoughts, comments, opinions about these changes to eligibility? I was a little bit confused at first because I, when I first read those eligibility laws, I assumed that they could pick anyone who had met those requirements overseas and then they had three wild cards similar to what we've seen in 2021. They could, they could then pick three players from international that didn't meet that criteria. But that is not how it is. That is not how it is. And going back and, and getting that reconfirmed and told that I, I, I misunderstood the, the article I was reading, 
it's raised some questions, particularly as we move into the 2023 World Cup next year, because with only three spots available, we've already looking at having potentially five or six players that we've called into the Wallaby squad last year uh, that might be quite pivotal in, in the World Cup for 2023. So we're looking at Rory Arnold as one of them. Curtly Beal now qualifies because he signed on with the Waratahs, but we've got Sean McMahon, Quade Cooper, Samu Karevi. That's already four players. So one of them is going to miss out straight off the bat. So we don't know just yet how it's going to work and if it's going to, uh, like which way Dave Rennie's going to go with those three selections. Um, yeah. We also don't know yet either. Like that, we've announced, RA has announced their intentions for this to be the criteria for selection. But as we saw at the end of 2021, players can still say, I'm not, I'm my club's not making me available to be selected. So I'm not going to come and play the rugby champs for you or not go and play the Northern Tour. So, so we... that's only if it's outside of the international windows, which isn't the case for the rugby championship or the spring tour. It, the problem was some of the matches at the beginning or the end of the spring tour that um, clashed with the Japanese season and were outside that international window. So for the vast majority of both the rugby championship and the spring tour for us, that the players would f- have to be available they are not allowed to be kept by the clubs. But they, like, we could have pushed last year for them to be made available because technically they, I think it was that just that Japan game where they weren't going to be available and Quake Cooper mm. ended up playing that anyway and then chose not to tour. So yep. it, it's still, like, it, it, there, it's, not the, it's not a foolproof plan. It, there's still roadblocks into it. And there are a lot of people out there saying, like, why can't we just pick the best people from all over the world and just open the floodgates? But we'll see what's happened to South Africa at the moment with their super rugby sides, that the quality's yep. really dropped away and the product isn't as good as it was should should it, they have their Springboks players predominantly playing in that competition. So it's a difficult decision for Rugby Australia to make. And I, I know that there's they're never going to be able to make a decision that's going to keep everyone happy. But I'm optimistic and hopeful that this will be the best uh, path moving forward that might strike the best balance between keeping the product in Australia positive and engaged for fans with as many players contractually committed to Australian Super Rugby clubs as possible, still playing for the Wallabies, but then being able to select a few players like Quay Cooper, like Samu Krevi, who are based overseas, who just will not come home because we can't uh, meet the financial obligations that those Japanese clubs are making. Yep. All right, moving on to the Bledisloe Cup reshuffle. So there has been an agreement made between Rugby Australia and New Zealand Rugby that the Bledisloe Cup will be reduced down to a two-match series up until and including 2025. Uh, what things will look like after that will be up for review. Basically, instead of being a three or potentially four-match series each year, it will now be a two-match series, one in Australia, one in New Zealand. The last time that Australia actually had uh, the majority of games in Australia was 2017. So it doesn't really change the ledger in making this a particularly difficult cup to be able to win back. We still have to win over in New Zealand, much like we did before. So in my mind, I like this. I think reducing slightly the number of games we play against New Zealand at this point in time within our current circumstances is a good thing, but also protecting, not I guess the sanctity, but the the history and a tradition of the Bledisloe Cup with the optimism for change within the future that maybe, maybe we could actually win it back within my lifetime. That would be wonderful. Um, so that was kind of my quick takeaway. Mitch, 10 second elevator pitch response to this. 
I think 2021, uh, 2022 could be the year that we win the Bledisloe Cup back if we've already agreed <laughs> to it only being played twice. With the current COVID situation, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to go over to New Zealand to play. So we might end up playing two tests in Australia in 2022, Bledisloe Cup tests, and potentially win both of those and win back the cup. And then once we've got the cup, it this model is a lot harder to lose because you are playing, you have to beat them home and away, as we said. So... I think in, in if we can get our hands on the cup, this is much easier method to keeping our hands on the cup for a long period of time than the three test model. One thing I will throw up, and you did say 10 seconds, but I'm throwing that out the window because this is an interesting <laughs> interesting uh, point. Jason Sherman on Twitter, I've seen comment a few times around the idea of actually playing the Bledisloe Cup or splitting the two tests and playing one on Anzac Day and then one in the Rugby Championships. I think that's a really interesting idea of playing the Bledisloe Cup as an Anzac Day mm. tradition, but maybe yep. we don't play two tests and we play it as a one-off test and we play it on Anzac Day because if you're going to have the competition across two tests and one being played at the beginning of the year and one being played at the end, you're essentially yep. playing two completely different teams. Um, yep. But I really like that idea of the Anzac test. So maybe we just in future go back to one test, winner takes all, wherever it's played um, and Anzac Day, you know, keep that Anzac tradition alive as well as well as incorporating some rugby into it. I think that would be a really cool idea. So long as New Zealand aren't allowed to play out of Eden Park and we do not play out of Sydney either. So we only play our games either in Perth or in Brisbane. Those are the only two options. Or we only play in Brisbane. Like that's, that's a good like point. Like every year is in Brisbane. <laughs> All right. Now, the final piece of news that we want to touch on before we finish up is a... what. I'm not sure if wonderful is the right word, but an incredibly impassioned and insightful article by, um, I think it was Jamie Panoram in the yeah. Daily Telegraph about Tom Cusack's struggle with cancer. So he finished the 2021 season down on form, looking out of sorts. And um, he basically just kind of disappeared off into the retirement sunset and nobody really knew why. There was no media whatsoever about it. And now it's emerged that the reason... Why is because he had incredibly serious, uh, an incredibly serious cancer diagnosis and the, some of the dip in his form and kind of um, output on the field was likely a result of the fact that he had uh, cancer spreading throughout his body unknown throughout the 2021 super season. So that is just simply incredible. Uh, the current news, according to what he's shared, is that he... Um, is currently in remission, that there's no cancer right now within his body. The treatment has worked, but he will have to keep undergoing significant um, medication for a couple of years to make sure that stays the same. And he's obviously now, uh, now that he has retired, he's spending time with his family and is looking into kind of his career options post-work. I think he was doing maybe some financial advice um, after already doing a business course while studying um, and playing. So look, all the best to... Tom Cusack and his family. He was an absolute warrior on the field for the Brumbies. And I mean, it's incredibly sad to hear that he's gone through that, but also wonderful to hear that it, there is a light at the end of the tunnel for him. Uh, any quick comments on that before we move on, my friend? No, I agree with everything you've just said, and I haven't had a chance to read the article yet, so I will do that in my spare time. Easy. Let's get on to it and do our round one review. Let's go. All right, let's get into the round two review. Now, we'll start off with a bit of an update on the table, how things are looking after two rounds. So surprisingly, in some ways, we have an Australian team in top spot yet again. So the Brumbies are 
currently on one in first place, not on one point, but in first place on nine points, followed by the Crusaders in second place on nine points. Brumbies have a four and against of 45 points, hence why they're coming first. The, the Crusaders have a four and against of 25. We then have the Queensland Reds in third on eight points with a four and against of 22. And the New South Wales Waratahs are in fourth spot where they will stay for the rest of the season on six <laughs> points with a four and against of 26 points. The teams below that don't really matter, don't really count. Yeah, we don't care about So them. we're not going to yeah. bother no. going through that. Let's move into we're the gonna first ignore. <laughs> we're going to ignore the fact that two of the Kiwi teams, or well, three of the New Zealand conference teams, have not played their full allotment of games yet. So we'll just ignore that as we carry through and basketball. Well, I mean, I guess rugby. if they are willing to let COVID into their camp, this is what they get. Exactly. All right, carry on. Exactly. So let's move to the first game of the Australian round of Super Rugby with the Waratahs playing the Reds at Leichhardt Oval on Friday night. This was a very, very tight game. We were there. It was pouring. We got wet, but we had a lot of fun. Ando, what were your thoughts about this game? Oh, mate, I absolutely loved being there. Uh, we were standing up on a hill, got to catch up with Cam, a uh, friend of the pod, and his mate Dave. Uh, it was me, your brother, um, you, Cam, and Dave, and it was just great. Got to see Nick Wasiliev there as well, so big shout-out to Nick from Green and Gold Rugby. Um, and Nathan Williamson too, so a bunch of people there. Good times, good times. But basically this match... Um, the Reds really got lucky in this one insofar as the amount of territory and possession that the Tars had, particularly within a first half, was outrageous. Uh, 67% possession, 77% territory in the first half. And it was an amazing effort by the Reds to be able to withstand that and then be really clinical when they actually had the very few opportunities within our 22 that they did. Um, it, there was a lot of really good play to like from both teams, despite the fact that the Reds were really outnumbered, well, not outnumbered, sorry, um, were suffering from the loss of Taniela Tupo, uh, who pulled out with a seized back in the warm-up, and then Tate McDermott got injured right after the halftime, then Murphy, Scott, Angus Scott Young, uh, basically anybody who took the captaincy got injured. And it's unusual that the player that gets injured the most in Australian rugby, Jordan Pattaya, played a full eight or nearly a full 80 minutes. I think he came off in the 70-something minute and came off without an injury, which was good to see, but everyone else around him was falling like flies. <laughs> he um uh, he was getting some treatment close to our side right before he went off and he was see he was starting to um cramp up and he was drinking yep. the pickle juice and it obviously didn't work. So, uh, yeah, I reckon they took him off before anything pinged. Now, we didn't say what the final score was, and I was trying to hide away from that because it was a victory to the Queensland Reds. But we will say that the Queensland Reds did take it out 20 points to 16 in the wet. It was a very tight game, as you said before, Ando. And most frustrating for the Waratahs fans is the, the Waratahs were hot on attack in the, Brum, in the Reds' 22 for the last four to six minutes, and they got penalty advantage after penalty advantage yet weren't quite able to get over the line and score. Had a brilliant opportunity for a more try right on full time and the, the throw didn't quite meet the jumper and they ended up knocking it on. And the Reds just, uh, as cool and calm as James O'Connor is, just kicked it over the touch with about a second left on the clock and took the victory. So did we answer that question, Ando? How did the Reds get away with this one? Was this so much... I guess I'll, I'll tweak the question. Was this so much a victory by the Reds or did the Waratahs find a way to lose this game? 
No, uh, the Reds played really well throughout the match, considering that they lacked so much possession and territory. Um, they had a few errors where they kept gifting a play away, a couple of kicks out on the full, a couple of handling errors, which are unsurprising considering the conditions we were playing in. Um, but really, the there's no guarantee that we were going to get a pushover more try at the end. No. But the very fact that our hooker, Tom Horton, threw it literally to the inside hip of Jed Holloway, the jumper, um, who had his hands up high to catch it first and then had to bring them down to try and catch it one-handed by his inside hit. It was just crazy how bad that throw was. Um, so I, look, with a young team, if it was a new inexperienced player that did that throw, I could be a bit more forgiving. But the fact that it's Tom Horton, who's now in his... Uh, what third, third fourth season yeah um with the waratahs who's had time in Wolby's training camps who was basically the incumbent hooker last season it's not good enough that that is the quality that he provides despite he, the fact he'd only been on a pitch for like 20 minutes yeah and i feel like we might touch on this a little bit later in another segment oh, trust me, but there are some takes that are coming up on that there one. are some takes are there okay all right well uh who stood out for you this game Oh, look, there are a few players. Um, number one, Jed Holloway is bringing a bunch of mongrel into the pack that I didn't really think he was uh, that type of player. I didn't realise he was someone that would just be so, um, not not dirty, but physical and aggressive and rubbing people's face in the dirt. And every team needs a he couple must of have, I think he's borrowed Lockie Swinton's boots <laughs> or socks or Maybe. something and he's just got yep. the angry juices flowing. Yeah, well, whatever he's been taking, it's been working. Um, ben Donaldson had a game that is unsurprising for an experienced and an, an inexperienced but talented fly half. So the two penalty goals that he missed within the first 20 minutes of the game, they were very kickable and they were bad misses. And yet he then went back and played a pretty decent game. Um, so that's not too surprising. And people saying in a really poor game, I think are just being harsh. He's a young, inexperienced 10 who will have these ups and downs throughout a match and throughout the season. James O'Connor's little chip kick for Jordan Pattaya's try was brilliant. And the reason why it was brilliant was because the defence, particularly Alex Newsom, who was defending under the wing, was expecting it to go higher and expecting it to be almost like a league-style um, kick over into the corner and with the player flying up and trying to get it but instead what jock did was just do this nice little almost kick pass in front of newsom so newsom had to run onto it um like towards the goalpost and pataya was able to just sail through and get it super easily because it had a flatter trajectory to what a normal crossfield kick would have been so i thought jock actually played pretty well considering our circumstances too yeah and he kicked very well i don't think he missed anything all night um, and as we've seen, the spine that the Reds' backline has with their combination of Tate McDermott, James O'Connor, and now uh, Jordan Pataya, who's getting more game time than he did last year, hasn't got the injuries, is really starting to pay dividends now. And as you said, like that was pinpoint accurate, that kick. And we didn't see it coming really on in the ground, standing in the stands either. Like Jordan Pataya didn't have his hands waving around and like calling it out there they just starting to instinctively know each other. And he would have just seen the way the Pattaya was looking at that space. And he said, that's, he wants the ball. That's where I'm going to put it. And he did it effort, effortlessly uh, to score that try. And it was probably the try of the night. It, <laughs> in such wet conditions, they, they got the chockies there. Um, but it was, 
flipping the coin to the Waratahs, it was still a great performance from a team who is still coming together with a few new players coming in under a new coach, still sort of developing the way that they want to attack and they want to, the brand of rugby that they want to play. Last year, we got beaten by the Reds by like 30 points. So in that short space of time, the fact that we were able to hang with them right up till full time and were really pushing them for that victory at the end there uh, is, is really good signs for this Waratahs team. And it, it will take time for them to start converting these, uh, these close losses into close victories. But what, we, what is promising as the Waratahs fan is that they never gave up. And last year, they, 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 with the season that it was, with the, the turmoil that was happening off the field, you could see heads start to dip and they weren't able to really hang in there and really push at the end of games a lot. So it was really promising to see that they stuck in it this, this weekend for, as we said, from poor execution of that line out. If they had pulled those things off, we're probably talking about a different outcome. Yeah, there are a couple of the players I just want to very briefly shout out. Um, I thought that the wingers, Dylan Peach and um, James Turner, are having a really great start to the season. Uh, Peach in particular is looking very dangerous when he cuts in from the wing after receiving the ball. He's got that sevens ability to kind of turn on a dime, but he's also incredibly strong and broad within his shoulders as well, so he can take a bit of contact. Dave Parecki is going from strength to strength as a starting hooker, and he should basically just play 80 minutes every week at this current point in time. Um Will Harris had probably one of his best games for the Waratahs. Um, he was pretty aggressive in his defense and within the runs that he was making, scored a pretty fortuitous try as well. Uh, and Langy Gleason had some really good impact later on within the game when he came on. And then finally, from a Tars perspective, um, Charlie Gamble had a full 80-minute performance, got a couple of turnovers, strong in defence, strong in his um, rut clearances. Uh, were there any Reds players that you wanted to highlight, mate, that you think had particularly um, impressive games? Yeah, Harry Wilson, as we've come to expect, was just a full 80-minute performance and just didn't stop, was in everything, was making big hits off the ball um, right up until the sort of the last final minute of the game. was very instrumental in that turnover that got the Reds the victory at the end there. Fraser McWright as well at number seven was just a pest all, all night and he was on every ball that he could get and he was just really disrupting the Waratahs flow a lot, which was really frustrating, particularly Jake Gordon, which was uh, interesting to see. Uh, and yeah, so some of the big, the big players there stepping up. The back line, the outside backs probably weren't as flashy as we've come to expect, but with the conditions that were... Uh, that we we saw on the weekend that it wasn't surprising considering how wet it was and how much rain there was. Hey, I got a really fun thing. Don't look at the player stats for this match, okay? I haven't. Um, so Jake Gordon, he passed the ball 83 times within the game. Tate McDermott, how many times did he pass the ball? 83, uh, 70. <laughs> Eight. Eight. Eight, because they had no possession in the first half and he got injured right at the start of the second. Right. So he had eight passes within the entire game. So his impact was so minimal, um, mostly as a result of his injury. And the news is that he's got a high ankle sprain that could see him out for four to six weeks, which is a huge blow to the Queensland Reds and to any post-match pre press conferences we get to go to. <laughs> All right. Well, do we want to <laughs> finish on that up? One later. <laughs> More on that one later. Yeah, I'm not diving too much into that just yet. But do we want to wrap that game up there? Is there anything else you wanted to say or should we move on to the Brumbies and Drua game? Look, just as a quick point for any Tars fans or people that are um, maybe 
They didn't catch the whole game and it just saw the scoreline. This was a good performance from both teams. The Reds deserved the win. Absolutely. Good, good for them. They came away. They executed when it mattered and they got a win in really hard conditions, both in terms of the team dynamic and the um, meteorological conditions. The Tars, though, they, they care again. You mentioned it before. They, they seem to have a bit of passion, a bit of um, energy in their step, and they're playing for each other so much more than what we saw throughout almost the entirety of 2021. And this is a team that doesn't have Michael Hooper back yet either. So with his added, added drive and energy, I'm really excited to see where things will go. I mean, our the title of our pod last week was... Um, Tiles will be the 2022 Super Rugby Champions. That was obviously tongue-in-cheek and a joke, but I'm confident that they are moving in the right direction and we're not going to get every result that we expect um, or, or are hoping for, but, I mean, already the improvement on last year is palpable. Yeah, exactly, and it's exciting to see the team really gelling and coming together, and I think one of the factors, you mentioned Hooper's coming back later in the year, but we can't underestimate the influence that Ned Hannigan will have on the team Ooh, when he gets back yes. later in the season as well. And that will just see us step it up to the next level. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Move aside, Lockie Swinton. The shed Hannigan's coming back. Well, <laughs> should we move into Brumbies Drua, mate? Let's do it. So the Brumbies took on the Fijian in Drua in Canberra for the first time on Saturday afternoon. Uh, the Brumbies came away with the chocolates well and truly. The final score was 42-3. to three. Uh, the Drua was still, like we saw last week, hanging in there and really putting in big hits and things right up to the final minute. But cohesion is still a massive issue for this team at the moment, and they're still not being able to really put a lot of set piece together. So, Ando, we'll start off. Did you see much improvement from the Indrua from the performance last week against the Waratahs to this week against the Brumbies? Look, I felt that they weren't as inaccurate in some areas like dropped balls and just general handling. But that being said, I was still pretty concerned that they were trying to, at times, just push things way too far, almost in like a seven style of play Mm -hmm. with just trying to take quick tap and goes from their own like 20 meter line and run around the outside of the Brumbies D and then lose the ball and turn it over um, from within those wide channels. Oh, I've got it. Oh, one frustration I have that this Jump game in, go. Was, was really annoying was the referee's insistence on taking a quick tap from the mark. Like there was yep. a number of times where the Fijian Drewer player would be at the back of the scrum and take the tap. And yes, he's clearly not on the mark, but he's about two meters behind it. Why does it matter? Let the play move on. But the ref would pull it up and bring it back and say, you have to take it from this exact point where I put my foot on the ground. Like you're yep. intentionally slowing the game down for no reason. Let the boys yep. play. Yeah, Carry exactly. On. Oh, th- there was another quick moment within um, the Tars match where the what, uh, uh, not straight line out was called against the Tars when the Reds didn't even compete for it. And I'm like, why? Why? It doesn't matter. Stop slowing the game down. It doesn't fundamentally change anything that it wasn't straight in that moment. So okay. I agree. Those needless types of penalties are, are something that can very easily be fixed to increase the speed of the game and therefore the enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Um, but getting back to these, this this match, I think that the Druid just need to be working on some of the fundamentals. Like their lineout percentage was only 61%. They lost um, five of their 13 lineouts. That's not good enough at this level. Um, I mean, they're going up against the Brumbies who admittedly did have Frost and Swain who are excellent line-out jumpers in their own rights there, but still you're expecting more from them. Um, and there were still some like uh, discipline issues in terms of what was it? A yellow card for a high lift on a player 
Yeah. What was so, it? And nearly a, a yellow card for a late tackle when it was deemed that Andy Muirhead had was it Andy? yeah Muirhead had jumped into the contact and yeah, that was a bit questionable yeah. as well. But um, yeah, so there were yeah, a couple of late, points. Late mm. hits, unnecessary movements off the ball, which which is just at this level will be pulled up. Um, and I, I understand that it will take time for these players to really adjust to the super rugby pace and to the level of competition. But if you're going to be flipping players off over your shoulder behind the game, behind the, the play, then it's just silly and you're giving away silly penalties and you're really infl- damaging your team's ability to attack. Yep, agreed. Any any other thoughts? Where are we moving to from here? Mate, we got a question here. Are the Druids just making up the numbers? Uh, no fundamentally no and it's an interesting one because they've had two heavy losses so far 40 to 10 and then 42 to 3 so in some ways you go oh they're going backwards uh they they will continue to improve i think the problem is that going to be coming up against some decent teams and they're going to get smashed when they come up against the new zealand teams once the crossover section of the competition comes up um but what they just need to do is focus on the basics yes their players have skill yes their players are going to be looking for those fast moments and opportunities but get your scrum sorted get your line out sorted get your defensive patterns in um in well basically sorted as well so that every player knows what they're meant to be doing and then within that structure allow them to play with freedom and allow them to play with flair at the moment i just think that mcburn is doing a bit of a laissez-faire approach from what we can see from the outside and it doesn't seem to be working for them so far because they just haven't got the fundamentals nailed down yet. Yeah, and it seems unusual in their game plan that they, as you touched on briefly before, that they're trying to meld that seven style of keep the ball alive. Highland Globetrotters sort of, let's just keep offloads and keep things going and moving. But they're doing it at the wrong end of the field. They're trying to run that that sort of play when they're in their own 22 instead of just clearing it and getting the ball out and, and relieving that pressure. And then when yeah. they get up into the opposition, they're going for pick and drives and uh, so in the opposition's attack zone, they're going for pick and drives and trying to keep it in tight when that's probably the, their strength to really uh, to spin it wide and get their bigger uh, loose forwards and loose backs out there. <laughs> loose backs. The loose, loose backs, backs. <laughs> um, out there and, and really flowing, uh, opening the game up a little bit. So I think, Game management is one area that the Drua is really struggling with at the moment. Um, they, outside of their captain, the captain seems to be doing a lot. He's talking a lot to the boys and he's really trying to get them up and, and engage at the set piece time. But uh, the back line seems to be struggling at the moment in knowing what to do at the right times of the game and in the right places on the field. And I wonder if they just need a player of experience i'm thinking a player like ben volavola to come in who is that fijian player he has played for the national team for a few years he has that flair he knows what it is to play with the seven players who have been playing for fiji in world cups and those sort of scenarios um and really be able to lead a team a bit more than they're currently getting at the moment yep yeah some really good calls there um if we shift the conversation across to the brumbies now yeah. Now we've yeah. we've talked about the drawer. They only scored three points this week. They scored one try last week. So they're sitting at about eight or ten points in the competition. The Brumbies scored 43 points. Were you impressed with this performance? 
Yeah, I think it was a really solid performance, um, particularly because we didn't see some of their key players starting. So we didn't have um, Falau fighting starting at hooker. We didn't have Nick White. Caden Neville was on a bench with um, Nick Frost starting. There was just a little bit of a shift around in some positions. So they were trying to give uh, other players just a bit more starting time. And they, they came out and did what needed to be done. They've got the win. They got the bonus point they played with confidence and didn't let the opposition score a try. So obviously they'll for themselves have their own areas that they're identifying as work-ons, but you can't ask for much more than what they've done this week. Exactly. And there was some interesting decisions in terms of replacements at key times. Uh, we saw early in the second half that, or even just before half time, I think um, Slipper came off because his back was seizing up similar to Tanela Tupo. And then they also pulled off Alan Alto at the same time. Granted, at that time, they were 20 to 30 points clear of the Indrua. So, but it, it did seem to shift the momentum a little bit and they started to slow down and they didn't score as many points. But yeah. then uh, Tom Wright made a few errors as well and Andy Muirhead down the, the flank um, dropped a pass where he probably should have caught it with a try line open in front of him and they ended up pulling him off and replacing him straight away. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a thing of... Uh, like a reactionary, you're not taking the game I, seriously. I think he was walking or... up. I think they were warming up in the sidelines before that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was some talk in the media at the time um, in the coverage that he dropped that sitter and then he gets pulled off straight away, sort of like the, you know, the the pull off the stage sort of thing when you drop the ball. Yep. But um, Darcy Swain as well was uncharacteristically dropping a fair few balls early on, um, mm-hmm. which was unfortunate to see and ended up taking a try away from Nos Lonigan again, which I think you were a bit upset with. Yep. I would have liked that. <laughs> For your fantasy points alone. For my fantasy team. Um, how good was Billy Pollard when he took to the field, mate? He yeah. showed some real gas in that second half with the break that he made. Um, he's, he's incredibly exciting. He is. He's a really big prospect for the Brumbies and it's something they've been talking about for a while now. And as someone who doesn't watch the Brumbies as closely as a, as a diehard Brumbies fan, I've heard a lot about Billy Pollard, but I haven't seen him play a great deal. So this was really exciting to see him get that chance at Super Rugby. And from what we saw in this game, there was a lot to be impressed with. Yeah, And the old guard of Jesse Mogg getting a double at the end of the match was just wonderful to see as well. So I've always liked him and it's good to have him back down in Canberra. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it was great to see that the Brumbies were able to to keep scoring those tries at the end, they didn't sort of go into the shells or just sort of ease off. And, and once they got that bonus point, they really kept putting the drill under pressure and scoring those points. Were there any areas in particular that think the Brumbies might need to continue working on as they move through the competition? Oh, look, I think that they're um, going to just have to make sure that they're, line-out continues to function really effectively. Um, Alex Murphy and Noswanigan are not renowned line-out throwers um, and accuracy hasn't always been their best point. And knowing how forward dominant the Brumbies are just as a team, they obviously love the physicality of the contest. They are going to be wanting to make sure that that stays an area of strength for them. They weren't really challenged that much this weekend. So it'll be just an area they want to make sure that they are continuing to excel at for their upcoming match. I think they're playing the Tars this, this coming week. Yeah. The Brumbies play the Tars on Saturday. Yep. Yep. Um, fantastic. So was there, are you happy with everything we spoke about Brumbies? Should we move into the Rebels and Force game? 
I just want to quickly let everybody know that the um the balance within within the universe has been restored and Lockie Lonigan starting is the way the world should be. So and more importantly, beyond Lockie Lonigan starting, Ryan Lonigan starting is even more so. So huge, huge shout out to Ryan Lonigan. Um he he just had an absolutely brilliant game and he single-handedly is a reason why they won. Oh, that's a big call. <laughs> but sticking on this point for a moment in all seriousness. Do you yep. think that this is a bit of a line, not a line in the sand that the Brummies have crossed, but do you think we're starting to get to a transitionary period where Nick White isn't the go-to starter for the Brumbies anymore? They are looking at Ryan Lonigan being that starter and, and like the impact that Nick White brings off the bench. I think that White is still the nailed on number one if it was like a crunch match um, against number nine. another really... <laughs> um, if it was if it was a really important match against someone like uh, the Reds or the Satyrs or something like yeah. that, then it's going to be Nick White who's starting just because of the experience and control that he brings. But I actually think he was really poor in the first round that his focus on the kind of aggro, um, some of the little aggression and the niggle scuffles, the yeah. niggle he got into actually took away from his game. And I wonder if this was a bit of a slap on the wrist from the coaching setup to say, mate, you got some pretty good people behind you. Uh, make sure you're playing your best and focusing on what you got to do week in, week out. Yep. And otherwise, we, we've got Ryan here. He's pretty good. He can he can take your spot. Um, so he can do it all. He can do it all. No, Nick White, in my opinion, is still the best scrum half in Australia. Yep. Um, but his position is not as secure as it would have been like nine, 12 months ago. Yeah, fantastic. And my... Um... One highlight I had from this game that wasn't actually rugby related so much, but there was a great shot of Brumby Jack, the mascot, that's, that's the word. I was like, character? Mascot. No, the mascot running around the sideline with the Fijian, internet, uh, the Fijian flag. So that was awesome to see. Uh, getting the crowd involved and getting everyone towards the end of the game started cheering for the enjoyer as well. Awesome. Shall we move across to the Rebels and Force game? Yeah, let's do it, mate. Let's go. All right, so the last game for the Australians played on Saturday night was the Rebels versus the Force, the grudge match of who should have been kicked out of Super Rugby those few years ago. And the Force came away very convincing winners, 28-3. to um, There's a lot to unpack in this game. What were your thoughts initially from watching this, Andrew? Oh, the, the Rebels were just diabolical. Uh, there's been a huge amount of backlash against them on social media just decrying the performance saying that they were lacking heart and they didn't care i i think a lot of the time that's over the top uh because having had the privilege to speak to a bunch of the players they care like this is their livelihood they are wanting to play well each week but there's obviously something within the within a setup within a culture within a team uh, communication or expectations at the moment that just is not working down at the Rebels because their first two performances this season have been very poor. And not only have they lacked the ability to kind of execute on a basic fundamentals of set piece and backline plays and defensive structure, but there just doesn't seem to have been the same sense of urgency in defense, in cover defense, in working hard for each other that we saw on display from the Reds this weekend. Um, the, the difference between the effort that the Reds and the Rebels put out was stark. And you, you like, I'm not blaming the Waratahs for losing, 
I want them to have won the game, but they tried buddy hard and they put their heart out there. And I think that's what the Rebels fans are wanting from their team, but did not see this weekend. There's a really, I would definitely recommend for the fans out there to go and watch the press conference after the game between um, Kevin Foote and Michael Wells in the media. There's some really interesting points that he, that Wells particularly touches on around the team's belief um, and not so much that, they aren't trying in games, but they're getting to a point where they may start off poorly and they're doing the little things in games poorly. So they're not finding touch if they're kicking to the corner or they're not getting enough clearance on a, a clearance from the 22. They're losing a scrum early on and the heads start to drop and this, this doubt seems to creep into the team. Um, mm. and he spoke very openly about him as the captain being responsible for that and taking a lot of responsibility in saying that maybe he needs to change the way he communicates to the team and to, to try and lift them up and say, let's refocus and move on to the next thing. Uh, it, it's, it's a very interesting situation that the Rebels find themselves in at the moment because as they do have so many of their good players out at the moment, Andrew Kellaway, Rob Lioda, um, Pone Farmasili, those players have... Did I say Trevor? Or? Trevor Hosea as well. You said yeah, probably Hoda. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so those guys have massive impacts on games and the young guys that are coming in to replace them and to, to front up and start don't have the experience. And as we've spoken about so long in the past with the Rebels particularly is the first side, their first 15 is, is good. But when you look at the second players that are coming in to replace those players, there's a golf in talent there. And at the moment they just seem to get lost in themselves in games and they're doing the basics poorly. They're not, they're falling off tackles. They're pushing passes. They're make their kicking kicks out on the full. Like they're not sticking together as a cohesive unit and the communication seems to be breaking down. And in this game, particularly, they seem to implode a little bit. Um, we'll talk about it briefly as we get into it, but Reese Hodge in this game and the last week as well he didn't have a good performance either I feel like Reese Hodge is starting to shoulder some of the burden similar to what we saw Matt Tamua do in 2021 and it's starting to yeah. creep into his game and he's trying to play he's trying to do things that he can do uh, he's trying too hard and we saw that this week by the the silly knock-ons and or knockdowns that resulted in yellow cards and then ultimately a red card uh, just doing things that are uncharacteristic of his game style um, because he's trying that hard to try and lift the mood in the in the team and trying to get to gel things. It's really difficult to see. Like you're right, it's he's, it's almost like he's the Tamura of 2022, um, which I don't want to put on anyone. Because whilst I think Matt Tamura is a great person, his 2021 sucked. Um, look, you you mentioned as well some of the fact that they've got a really experienced. Um, like first 15 or a quality first 15. And when they have all their starting players, yeah. But then you look at the fact that they like, they're starting young Tonomapea, uh, Stacey Ili, Ray Nu'u, Gwen Vaihu. Like these players are not like inherently bad players, but it's not as though they've been at the club for a really long time and they've got experience playing with the people inside and outside of them. Yeah. And there just seems to have been a significant amount of turnover. And I think we spoke about their weaknesses within their back line in the preseason um pods that we were doing i i'm really concerned for the rebels moving forward um they 
they look like they're going to be without some of their key players for a while. They won't have Hodge next week because he'll have a one-game suspension. Um, it's it's Does just going to be... I'm getting well, two I assume a red no. card is automatically a one-game suspension, isn't it? No, not necessarily. Ah. I don't oh, think okay. two yellow cards... In, you only get a suspension if you've done an act of foul play and then have oh, and a basic panel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I think Rhys okay. Hodge well, either way. Either way, either way, um, yeah. the fact that they still have these really experienced players out is just mm. really concerning. Um, and I think that they could be finishing 10th this season. Um, I was worried about them finishing that low in preseason, but they, they might even finish 11th with the Drua getting above them. Who knows? They're playing that poorly at the moment that have found that a new starting team like the Drua may well pip them by the end of the year. Yeah, and unfortunately, it seems that the, this rebel side is resembling very much so the Waratahs of 2021, where there's so young players in there with inexperience that don't have a lot of leadership around them and are doing the basics poorly and then getting overawed in games and sort of go, moving away from their structures and not having anyone that's really there to steady the ship and pull them back in line and, and re-evaluate and go again. Um, and that's what we saw in this game, that they scored... They scored one penalty in the first half and in the second half, they think Matt Tamua had one shot at goal. But apart from that, they didn't look like coming close to the try line and they didn't have any form of attack. Get And then flipping the coin, their defense was abysmal as well. It just seemed like there was nothing that they could do in this game to make any sort of impact. Um, at times, it felt like they, they might as well have just stood back and watched what was happening because... They made it look very easy for the rebels and in, in a force in certain points. And I think a lot of that then comes down to because we've spoken about how poor the rebels were, but I think we need to flip the table here and look at the quality that the force brought to this match. Now, I don't think the force were excellent. Uh, I think a better team would have punished the rebels more than they did. But with that being said, they still, I mean, they won 28 to 3, didn't let them score a try. And their defense was suffocating. That seems to really be a trademark of the force at this point in time. It's how they came so close to beating the Brumbies last week was with the quality of their defense and the pressure that they put on opposition rucks is just incredible. Uh, Fuiti Katu, again, is just absolutely dominating that collision zone and being incredibly aggressive. I thought that I'm um, Fergus Lee Warner had a very good game as well. And Tim Anstey mm. just seems to be growing into the 15 man code. I'm absolutely loving what he's bringing at the moment. Well, I um, really like the fact that they've moved him to number eight this year. And yeah. last year he was playing seven or six, uh, but he seems to be really uh, having a massive impact on the game from that eight position. Yep. And I like that he's getting a bit more opportunity to run as a result of being eight, he's not having to do as much of the dirty work at the rocks and he's getting the opportunity now to get the ball in hand a little bit more, which I think is just his strength. Um, get him the ball as much as possible because you just know that he's going to do something with it. Yeah, definitely. And was there any standouts particularly, like you did mention that, but was there, any, uh, you mentioned Tim Anstey and a few of the other in the forwards. Was there anyone in the back that was really impressive that stood out to you? Look, I think um, the fact that, Ian Pryor is still holding on to his starting position with a pretty stiff competition of Isaac Fines, Lelia Wasa is just really important because he's bringing that air, that bit of experience on the inside of Rishan Pasatoa, which is incredibly important. But not only is he experienced, but he actually played really damn well this weekend. 
Yeah, um, the did. quality of his passing was really good. And he was getting it out in front of the oncoming runners, not passing it like to the chest, but in front. So they're having to run onto it at a pace. And that was really, really vital for the um, for the force to be getting just that kind of gain line ascendancy against the Rebels defensive line. Uh, plus his kicking was really accurate too. So well done, Ian Pryor. You've kind of nailed your spot for the following week as well. Um, Although Fonsley Owasa was better, in my opinion, this week than he was in the first week um, when he came on. So it's great that they've got two really, really good quality nines that they can be depending upon. Uh, what did you reckon about Ristran Pasatoa's um, game? Because Timmy Horan's come out in, on Twitter and basically claimed he needs to be in the Wallaby squad next time it's called up. Uh, what's your take on that? Do you reckon he's jumping the gun a little bit? Oh, definitely. It's round two and he's played two games of Super Rugby so far. Like he's had some really good involvement. And he's shown some really good knowledge and uh, awareness on the rugby field. But to be saying he needs to be included and is a young bolter for the Wallaby squad already is, I think, a little premature. Let's just see how he settles and goes for the next few rounds. Uh, as we've so often seen in these young guys coming through, is they can play one really, really good week, particularly if they're up against an opposition that's not really challenging them very well. So Ben Donaldson for the Waratahs, for example, played quite well last week against the Andrua. But this week when he was challenged by James O'Connor and had a lot more pressure on the, from the back line attacking him specifically at number 10, he made a few more decisions that probably had he had more time, he probably would go back and do differently. A few rushed passes, a few kicks that probably should have just gone through the hands, those kinds of things. Just, just tactical decisions that might not have come off as well had he had a bit more experience. I think we'll see that maybe in the next few weeks when Pasatoa is really challenged by a back line that's going to rush up and attack him quickly. He was challenged last week. Like the Brumbies did challenge him and he did, he did hold up and he looked good, but let's just hold our horses to <laughs> at the moment. That's one thing that in Australian rugby, we so often do is just pile, pile all our, all our expectations on these young players after one great game and start saying that they need to be included in the Wallabies. You know, they're going to win us the Bled the Bledisloe Cup. They're going to win us the World Cup in 2023. It's like, guys, come on, let's just chill out, not put that much expectation on the shoulders of a 20-year-old. Let him grow into the game. Let him really get to, to see and find his place in Australian rugby before we start pushing him too far. And that's the thing. He needs to be given time at a super level to uh, develop, to mature, to learn how to play with the people inside and outside of him. And sure, if in the mid-year um, test, they want to bring him into the Wallabies camp as a training member or as a development player, cool. Yeah, give him the experience of playing with really high-class players in that incredibly high-class playing environment. But don't expect him to play a match. And don't expect him to then be the Messiah because he's not. He is a good 20-year-old player, much like Ben Donaldson, much like Carter Gordon, much like Noah Lolasu, who's 22, and Will Harrison. Like, there's just a good crop of young 10s that we need to nurture who one of them, probably Noah Lolasu, is going to be having a pretty big role at the 2023 World Cup. And then they're all going to be fighting it out for the 2027 World Cup. And good. Yeah. They should be waiting for that opportunity because they're too young at this point in time. And I honestly think that Noah Lillacy has got a mortgage on that position in the Wallabies because he knows the environment, he knows the players, and a large number of his um, teammates from the Brumbies are going to be in the Wallabies team. So it makes sense that he would get the start over someone like Pasatoa, who is going to be coming from a team that does not have as many Wallabies players in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Um, and one thing too, back on that point, that Tim Horan is generally a pretty upbeat media type. But as soon as they bring him in early, if they listen to what he's saying and, and bring him into the Wallaby squad, it's similar to what we saw with Noel Alessio. When they bring him in, he's got all this potential. I think he's going to be brilliant. But he has he struggles, as we saw, Noah struggled against New Zealand. And then he was there was questions saying, you know, he's not as good as we've all thought. Um, he shouldn't be here. He should be back playing Super Rugby. And they're reneging on what they've already said. And it's kind of in the media, we have such a responsibility about setting the example for people and setting those narratives. Um, I don't think it's helpful to start throwing the world at these players when they're so young. Agreed, mate. Agreed. Well, anything else you want to quickly say on the Rebels Force now, before we move on to New Zealand? There games? is one point that we will talk about later because it's come in if, from a few different people in the locker room around where to next for the Rebels or what we think they should do to sort of move forward or ch- what they can change in the f- immediate future. So we won't talk about that right now. We will get to that in the locker room. Um, shall we just quickly run through the New Zealand games and just maybe say a point or two of yep. of something? Um, so the first game in New Zealand was the Highlanders and Crusaders game on Friday night. The Highlanders were leading pretty much the majority of this game. The Crusaders really just stepped on the gas at the end there and, and took it away from them. But final score was 34 to 14 to the Crusaders. At 34, 19, sorry, to the Crusaders. What were your, any, any thoughts or comments around this one, Ando? I thought it was a fantastic game. I mean, the Highlanders were in the match up until the, what, 67th minute. And that's when Will Jordan got his try, got the conversion. Then uh, 10 minutes later, there's another try to Tamaiti Williams. Another conversion to blow it out. So it was 19 to 20 in the 57th minute, uh, 67th minute. So it was a really, really close game. But we just see that typical... That typical um, ability of the Crusaders to stay in the fight and then to execute at the times when the opposition are starting to flag. End of the first half, end of the second half, they just always score points. And if you don't have a lead on them, then you're going to be struggling in those crunch moments. Um, They are just class all round. It was a very, very good game to watch. And I recommend that people go back because the Highlanders played well and Mitch Hunt had a fantastic game in particular. Awesome. And the second game of the round was also played at Forsyth Bath on Saturday was between the Highlanders and the Hurricanes, uh, the Blues and the Hurricanes. Sorry, I'm looking at the logos here and getting things mixed <laughs> up in my head. Uh, final score was 33, 20, 33 to 32 to the Hurricanes. There now, the Blues were fairly ahead. Of, I think going into the, seven, uh, the 68th minute, they were up by 14 points. And the Hurricanes scored two tries late to take the victory off the Blues. Now, one uh, highlight of this game was we did see Roger Tuovasa-Shek from the NRL, for those who know and have heard this story, uh, make his debut for Super Rugby 2022. And from all reports and from watching the highlights, he had a fantastic game and had some really class involvements, stepping players, offloading out of the tackle, those kinds of things. Very similar sort of performance to a sunny Bill Williams. Uh, so I, I think there will be a lot of expectation to see how he goes in the next few weeks and see if he can continue that form. But overall, Ando, what were your thoughts around this game? Look, around the game in general, it was just an incredible comeback. Um, Salisa Rayasi was the one who sparked it with the two tries right before Adi Surveyor's try, um, which it was actually two of us, Ashek, who dropped off one of yeah. the covering tackles to enable that break uh, for that final try. So... 
puts a bit of a dampener on his performance. But either way, um, it was an incredible fight back from the Hurricanes and it was just heartbreaking for the Blues to be up by so much and just to let it slip in those final minutes. Uh, an interesting thing, because two of us are shake really is the kind of story from this game. Uh, there was some interesting commentary coming from Ben Darwin, who... Uh, he he was basically arguing that yeah okay Tuivasa-Shek had some great moments in in attack, but defensively he was really struggling with his alignment to know exactly where he's meant to be where he's meant to be on the pitch, communicating with people inside and outside of him. And a better team would have actually tried to expose that a little bit more by trying to manipulate and run plays directly off him um, so that they could kind of exploit that positional weakness or lack of communication. Uh, so that's just an interesting thing to be thinking about that having a new player come into the centers particularly, which is such a defensively integral position within the field could be an opportunity for other teams to exploit over the next couple of weeks whilst he's still finding his feet on the match day. Yeah. And I think uh, Ben Donaldson has said that a few times in various interviews and things that in rugby union, there are particular positions that are really hard to transition into and are very pivotal in the overall performance of a team. And center is one of them. I think hooker is one of the others. Um, and second row as well from memory. So uh, it's interesting to see that the Blues didn't go down the path that they do with most league converts of playing them on the wing first and giving them a few games on the wing to really sort of settle in and get that rugby feel before then shifting them into the centres like they did with Sonny Bill Williams. Yep. Well, anyway, mate, I think we can kind of wrap that up there. I don't really have much more to say about those games because I was watching, but... Uh, really my focus is Australian Australian rugby. Just love it. Just love it. New Zealand stuff. That can stay over to the side. We'll talk about that later when we get to them in the second half of the competition. (laughs) But shall we move into our next segment now? Let's go. Let's go. Let's get into some hot takes now. This was controversial last week. Let's see what we're going to dish up this week. Ando, take us away with your hot take of the week. My hot take of the week is that Connell McInerney will not be at the Brumbies in 2023 and that Falau Faingaa will move on from the Brumbies at the end of 2023. The future lies with Nos Lonergan and Billy Pollard and those two players will see the writing on the wall and will take the opportunity to get a paycheck over in France or Japan. Fantastic. That is hot. Oh, yeah. That is spicy. Spicy. Any other hot takes of the week or shall I get with mate, mine? Mate, you jump in. I've got another one, but I want to finish on it. So you go now. Oh, okay. It's big. It's big. It's juicy. Well, my hot take of the week is the Rebels will go winless in 2022. Now, we have seen since Super Rugby had a shift in the last few years and went away from its format with South Africa and the, the regular home and away. We we had Super Rugby AU for two years, then we had Trans-Tasman, and in both of those competitions, one Australian team went through the whole competition without getting a single victory. My call for 2022 is that the Rebels, so far in 2022, have looked that poor uh, in the opening two rounds that I think twenty this season will be their win this season. That's a really big call, but there's, I like it. There's a lot that I like about that. All right. Now, my hot take, my second hot take, is that if Tom Horton cannot learn to throw in these clutch moments, then he does not deserve 
to basically continue as the uh, reserve hooker for the New South Wales Waratahs. Dave Parecki has a mortgage on the starting hooker role, but I've been underwhelmed by Tom Horton over the last 12 months and do not think that he is the second best hooker. Um, we've got the new hooker that's come across from LA Giltinis. I'm having absolute mental blank right now as I say this, what his name is. I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's Veolani, Veolunu. Okay, we'll have to double check on that one. Apologies uh, there, fans. But basically, Tom Horton has not been up to standard, in my opinion, um, as in, in what he's executing out on the field. I was so incredibly angry at the end of the match because it was such a ridiculously bad throw to Jed Holloway in that final line-out. That it's, it's not the line-out jumper's mistake that the ball isn't going to his hands above his head and instead hitting him on the hip. That is just pure and simple, a bad throw. Um, and he it's been something that's too common within his play and it has to either change or he doesn't deserve to be the bench hooker for the Waratahs. Yep, I would agree with that. I don't think that's too much of a hot take. I think that's a sensible take. But we also have a fanboy of the week. What's this all about, Ando? Mate. We, we had a wonderful experience at Leichhardt Oval. Um, you and me standing together in the rain. And then we got to go to the media room afterwards and ask the questions of the coaches and the captains as they came in. It was great fun. Um, in that conference with Brad Thorne and Tate McDermott, I was struck by just the piercing gaze of Tate McDermott. As we asked questions, he looked back at me. He seemed to see deep down into, the, into my soul and say, Ando, I really value that question. I care that you've asked that. Thank you for being here. And I think I'm in love. So Tate McDermott, you've got incredibly, incredibly beautiful eyes and I cannot wait to be the next press conference with you. Fanboy moment over. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Ando. Let's move across to the locker room now. We now move into the locker room, but before I say your questions or before I ask your questions as they've come in, I want to make a little statement about who we are and what we do. At Pick and Drive Rugby, more and more we are trying to be the voice of the people. We're trying to be the people that speak with our listeners, speak with the fans of Australian rugby, but also give opportunity for your voices to be heard outside of our podcast. So part of our goal at attending the press conferences of every game that we can get to is not to ask our questions but to ask your questions. So, although we're going to be doing a locker room in a sec, straight after this, we're going to be jumping into the audio recordings from the press conferences of the Waratahs and the Reds after the match at Leichhardt Oval. So, the questions that we had are taken directly from our Twitter feed, from uh, questions that you punters asked us. And so we kind of moderate them. We fit them a little bit to be a part of the conversation that's happening, but please make sure that you get involved. And each of the home games for the Waratahs, we are, well, one of us will hopefully be at and we'll ask your questions. So moving now into the locker room, Gold Digger says, men of the people pressing down flesh at Leichhardt, love it more than a pod. And that really speaks to what we're trying to do. Basically uh, provide an opportunity to meet up and get a bit of a community going within the Oz Rugby scene. Now, Jason Sherman asks, does it look to you that the gap has begun to close between Oz and New Zealand? Mitch? Ah, uh, it's hard to say right now because there's been some great games, but there's also been a, a few shockers so far. 
So I think the Waratahs, the Reds, and the Brumbies are competitive. I think, and the Force. Sorry, can't forget Ooh, the Force. Don't forget obviously. the Force, man. Uh, the Rebels are struggling hard at the moment. So uh, it's it is hard to say though because. We thought we were going quite well last year, and then when we got into Trans Tasman, we got absolutely pantsed. Um, so uh, I don't know, really. Yeah, for me, I just think I uh, don't think the gap has begun to close much at all. Um, we need to really wait for the first round or two of the Trans Tasman. Um, hopefully, we might be playing a few more games over here than last season. Mm. So maybe that will even things out a little bit more. Uh, what is the Aussie pecking order? I might have a quick go at this one. Yep. I would personally be saying Brumbies and Reds are at the top and there's really not much splitting them. Then I'd go Force, Tars, Rebels in that order with the Force and the Tars being very, very close. Um, but the Force are currently pipping them slightly just based upon the uh, quality they've shown over the last two games. How many more games until the Reds are running out of second team because everyone is injured? Two Still weeks. from Jason Sherman. Two weeks. Two weeks, I'd say. Tupo, right. Tate McDermott, Liam Wright, Angus Scott Young this week. Ne- this coming weekend, we'll also lose. James O'Connor will lose. Uh, we'll. We'll lose. You're showing the true colours here, mate. They'll lose. Um, <laughs> All right, let's move on, knowing your prediction of two weeks' time. Nick Wasiliev asks, what the hell's going on at the Rebels, and what do you think is the solution? All other AU teams are looking positive, but considering Foote and his team have been a part of the setup for years before Vessels left, they look really below par. I would agree with that. We've spoken about it already. Mitch, 10-second, 20-second response to that. Let's go. Yeah, it's a really tough situation, and I think they just need a bit of clarity. I think, and Foote did mention this in his post-match presser, that he needs to change the way he's talking to the team, and and communicating certain things because at the moment they just look a little bit lost and uh, they need to just get in early and do certain points well so get their uh, you know, kicks out on the full or fine touch um, make their tackles those sorts of things do the basics well and then they can start to build from there Craig at Balumba asks if well states if you want them to come you have to provide an experience that's greater than the options they already have if there's no audience we have no rugby we can do better and it's commercial so there's no question in there thanks Craig but what he he was saying on his Twitter feed that he was down in Melbourne for the game and actually really enjoyed um, parts of the match day experience. I thought similarly at Leichhardt, the fact that they had a, um, a brass band there at the gates as people were walking in was, was a cool. little bit of fun yeah. and a little bit of noise. Um, and it was just an attempt to up things a little bit. So that was that was enjoyable. I agree, but we, we basically just... Look, there are financial constraints that are in play at the moment that must be making that side of things hard. I will say, um, I will say, different super sides do do things differently. I did see a video on Twitter uh, recently of the Reds opening game, and before the players ran out, they had a fireworks display with like a laser show. So it looked really cool. So the Reds seem to be doing something well. The Waratahs in their first game had the Fiji and Drua come out and do their war dance, but that was about it. Um, atmosphere, yep. apart from that, was a little less than satisfactory. Yep. Steve Lenthal uh, says, number one, Tom Banks try. Number two, see above. So <laughs> we didn't mention the try particularly when we were uh, unpacking the game, but it was an absolutely fantastic try that he did, breaking down the right-hand side of the line, scooting around the outside of the cover defense. It was it was brilliant. Um Ivan Gavazov also says, number one, good contest of Reds versus Tars. The Tars are back. Two, Force was solid, but Rebels were poor. Three, Billy Pollard's DNA, a prototype of Dan Coles, can run as fast as a Fijian wing. And four, see Steve Lenthal's points. Thanks. <laughs> Any quick comment on those ones, my friend? 
Um, yeah, no, I agree. Billy Pollard does does very much resemble a young Dan Coles, and he has the running ability of it as well. So he's a very exciting prospect. Moving on to some of our Facebook comments now from Michael Gardner. I will say I'm a little bit sick of the amount of aggro coming from the Wallabies Nines, Nick White and Tate McDermott. It's all good to be a pest, but I think if they concentrated more on playing than stirring up beep then they just might be pushing for perfection as a nine i see that particularly with white i personally haven't noticed it as much with tate mcdermott uh but either way i agree and i mean part of me suspects that might have been why ryan lonigan got a start or a contributing element to it uh i think they just need to focus a bit more on the game uh michael gardner also continues as a Force fan, my favourite game of the round was the Western Force vs Rebels, unsurprisingly, and seeing the hard work paying off for the boys. They've definitely got work to do, which I'm sure they agree, but they have so much potential this year. The Waratahs vs Reds was a good game too and kept you excited. Thank you very much, Michael. Lincoln Adler, you tell Rev that Will Harris is greater than Harry Wilson. What oh, do you reckon yeah. about that with the comparisons between the two, mate? Well, Will Harris doesn't wear headgear, first of all, so that just gives him about four better points because he's tougher than Harry Wilson. Um, and he plays for New South Wales, so, yeah, he's definitely harder than Harry Wilson. <laughs> also, how good was the setup at Leichhardt Oval? Suburban grounds seem to suit the current climate for the number of supporters the Tars are bringing in. Improves the atmosphere, I think. I would agree with that one very significantly. I enjoyed being at the game on Friday night, despite the fact that I was soaked through every part of my clothing was wet. Um, oh, hot tip. The Waratahs um, wet weather jackets are not waterproof. I'll just put that out there, everybody. Um, so <laughs> be aware of it when you're purchasing them. Um, um, on that point, though, it is cool. And we spoke with Jake Gordon after the game about this. And he said that the, the players can definitely f- feel the energy from the crowd at Leichhardt as well. So we can feel them and we can help rev them up, but they can feel it just as much, which is awesome. So I think it's a it's a massive incentive for fans to get there and support the boys, knowing that they will see you and they will hear you, which is cool. Simon Goff, as a Tars fan, I had pretty low expectations for this season. I think they're the good surprise of 2022 thus far. The bad experience is how the rebels. The bad surprise is how the rebels are playing. Do you think there's a world where the Force and the Tars make the top eight come finals time? Definitely, I, I can definitely see that. And what we're seeing at the moment, particularly is with the tra- the New Zealand portion of the Super Rugby Pacific table, they're playing these really hard, close-fought games and they're not getting a lot of bonus points. But the Waratahs and the Rebels... and the, Sorry, the Waratahs and the Force are, are getting victory uh, bonus point victories, but also if they do lose, they're getting bonus points for the, loss, the losses as well. So I think when we get to the second half of the competition and the ladder... Um, or moving into particularly that super round section will be really interesting to see how the ladder's looking uh, because at the moment, the Waratahs and the Force are up in the first half of the table and I think the Highlanders and the Blues are down the bottom. Look, there's, yeah, and that would be a really good point because if we're trying to get all... Because that, that's on a presumption that the Brumbies and the Reds are making the finals as well, right? So yep. that would be four Australian teams, which means that it's four New Zealand teams for as well. Maybe the Highlanders are going to be the New Zealand team that doesn't make it, maybe, in, in that world. Uh, but that would be a pretty big ask as well, considering our experience over the last few years. So Moana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua are 
almost definitely not going to make the finals because it's their first season. Rebels look like they're not going to make the finals either because they're playing incredibly poorly. So there's 12, 11, and 10 done. So you just got to find one New Zealand team to be in the back back end. And um, that would almost be like a they should get cut from New Zealand rugby if they don't make the finals. Well, the Highlanders are sitting on zero points so far. They've not been able to get a losing bonus point in either of their games in the first two rounds. Mm. Whereas the mm. Rebels and the Waratahs... Oh, sorry, the Force and the Waratahs, why do I keep doing that? I'm looking at the word Rebels, that's why. Um, the Force and the Waratahs have got a winning bonus point and a losing bonus point. So they're already well above where the Highlanders are sitting. So if they can continue that form and continue to get points, even if they're losing and the Highlanders can't, even if they get to the Trans-Tasman section and they can start to win with bonus points, all we need to do is lose with bonus points to potentially stay up above them on the table. Yep. Yep. Well, that's it for the locker room. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved. It is great to be able to chat through your questions. Uh, right before we finish up the pod, I just want to, one last final time, quickly plug our donations platform, coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby. Anything you'd like to throw away, we would very much appreciate it. And all donations will be going straight back into the pod. So thank you for your support. Thanks for listening up to this point. Mitchell, it's been a pleasure as always. Yes. And don't forget, ladies and gents, we'll have the uh, audio from the post-match press conferences on straight after this. Thanks so very much. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Sorry, mate. Very plucky win. Yeah, it was. Right. Yeah, just for both teams. Someone was going to get a result there, wasn't it? And you weren't really sure who, and just who ended up getting an opportunity and did really well to do their drop goal. Yeah, you know, real credit to New South Wales. And, um, you know, you think about from last year, and they've worked hard, and they were, they were tough hit out in the trial, and they were tough again today. And, um, you know, we, we got there and then we took our opportunity close it out, but yeah, it was, you know, in respect to, I mean, you know, there's messy things going on, if you've got a few errors around the place, but, um, you know, the effort from both teams was, you know, in there, and uh, either team could have sort of got that result. Sort of phenomenal, really, you had no ball for much of a match, you had no two boots, 70%. Almost, no yeah. for half, I mean. Yeah, really proud of um, the lads. Uh, with Alex Murphy, we lost them. You know, senior hooker um, Angus Cochrane got mad. So like, if, if you got the captaincy, you got injured and got off. So um, yeah, you saw young guys. You saw you know, Fial, Fodawaga trained at loosehead. You know, um, in the warm up, with the tight head. DZ came down to uh, Dane Zanna came down to sort of be the fifth prop starts. Um, you see uh, you know, young Spencer Jeans, um, is it about half a game or? Uh, so, you know, um, some really cool things happened out there for Man and I'm sure on their side as well. You know, there's some, I saw some uh, changes there. Right, I think in that first half, I think tackle count was about, something about 97 was a difference or something incredible like that. Is that defensive effort just the will to hold out Waratahs the thing you're most proud about this week? Yeah, yeah, challenge the guys. We're sort of in the troll games. We're sort of like in troll mode, you know, and then we lack that. Uh, we're sort of we were playing, but you know, the other teams are bringing better energy and challenge the guys last week and then uh, today. You know, this is th- th- actually their words, you know, um, about what they want to sort of do out in the park and um, 
you know, they, they brought it, you know, and um, sometimes, you know, you, you don't have the ball, you know, and uh, some, you know, there's a few executions of line outs or, uh, you know, a couple of kicks out, whatever, meant that, you know, we spent quite a fair time, you know, in our own half and um, there was some star sheet, he saw us save a try there, uh, held, I think it was Isaiah up. Um, those little things, you know, you feel here with Phil Gould talk about it in rugby league. Um, you know, it's it's worth a try. Those those saving a try, you know. And, um, so yeah, the guys are really brought it, and uh, for me, you know, a nice thing to be at Leichhardt. And, you know, uh, it's a cool ground. I haven't been here for a long time, and uh, you know, it was wet, but there was uh, you know good support for New South Wales and a few for us as well. So good for rugby. The rivalry, Brad, is, is always there, clearly New South Wales and Queensland, but that um, seemed to have a little bit of extra edge tonight. I almost spilled over in the stands there at one point and there was a couple of other little um, set twos at points. No punches, obviously, but there was, it was just extra feeling there tonight. Yeah, yeah there was um, some edge there, which you'd hope for. In this day and age, you know, it's a hug-off, and that, you know, like, you got, we all know, eh? like, it's a, 20 years ago, it's a whole different, you know, it's, it's fist flying, you know. So the Monday, Brawl was all the guys coming in and doing this, so, so you know, um, I guess that's what they do. And uh, I think there's a bit of passion there, but you know, it's about um, you know, getting on. Who 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 can refocus and, and get a bit cold-minded up here to to do the job. So, but yeah, you like seeing that passion between the two states. There's a proud history there, isn't there, in, in all sports, especially rugby and, and league. So. Take the first half um, defensive performance from your perspective. What were you saying to the guys out there that keep digging like they were? Yeah, I think uh, the past couple of years that's been our DNA, um, you know, showing up for each other, you know, in those tough times. I think we probably spent a minute in there, um, 22, you know, in our attacking zone. So. For the boys, I'm just proud of their efforts. Um, you know, we, we speak a lot about not switching off on the inside and there's boys flying through, covering other boys with some tackles and, and there wasn't too many of them either. So, um, you know, from me, from the players' point of view, I'm, I'm over the moon with, with that defensive effort and, um, you know, obviously there's always room for improvement. Um, but just the character the boys showed out there was pretty impressive. What's the exact nature of your injury? Ah, uh, wouldn't have to play, mate. It's uh, ankle, some sort of... Uh, at the front there, so hopefully it's all right. We'll address that tomorrow. So, Brad, um, the, um, do you think at the end of the day, it's some of your key players with a little bit more maturity and poise, so that they were able to control and take the points at key moments of the game, and also make the, the defensive play that were required? Do you think it's that a little bit more maturity that the Reds have over uh, New South Wales? Right. Possibly, but you know, credit to just remember New South Wales were 10 0 down, I think, or 10 3. And, and they had to, well, they actually did really well. They sort of managed the game and, and they didn't panic, stayed in there. I think they got a three first up, or and then they got the seven. And then, you yeah. know, I was pretty impressed with their drop goal, you know, it looked like it was planned. And, um, you can get advantage, but they just took the points there. So they actually, um, you know, did some really good. Stuff that I thought they managed to go pretty well, and you know, in the end, um, you know, we, we we got that that try, and we sort of um, and then we closed it out. So, but you know, um, I thought that they were you know doing some good stuff. I didn't feel like you know 
we necessarily had more material or something. We, we were doing our thing and uh, we, we took that opportunity with that try, which is really important. And then, and then to close it out, you know, is, is another skill, you know. So, but, um, you know, they, they had some good game management as well. Was there any volunteer once you went out of injuries, then Angus went out of injury? Anyone wanted to be captain after that? Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. I think James ended up captain, and um, he's just been doing his role this year because it was hectic last year, sort of running the team and running the, and being the sort of uh, game leader. So, yeah, he got to have a go at that again. So, um, uh, yeah, but hopefully we get these lads back. Looking forward, you've had Pontifar signing on He's looking promising, you know, coming up. So yeah, we're waiting for Isaac Henry, we're waiting for Silly, we're waiting for um, Hunter, obviously, you know, Tanyala. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's some quality guys there. And, um, um, but yeah, it's part of the game and the, the injuries. And so, uh, but yeah, they, they all seem like they're, um, Hunter looks like he's in reasonable shape and hoping he will join us, you know, next week. One of the players is continue to step up is Hamish Stewart. He's someone that kind of flies under the radar a little bit for some people on the outside. What do you see that's particularly valuable in the club? Uh, he's just, uh, I, I would say, probably good for, better for Tony because he's actually out there with him, but I would say he's a guy like that term, you know, um, I'm a soldier in, but in the trenches, you know, if you look next to you, you see who would you like to be standing there. I reckon Hamish is that type of guy. I don't know if that explains it, but he's got a big heart tough, um, he just could do whatever it takes for the team. Does that describe it, him? Yeah, I'd say he's our, he's our defensive leader out there. Um, you know, he's not the biggest body, but he's the first person to put his head in that dark place. And, um, you know, he's someone that boys love to play with because, you know, he's so selfless in that way. So, thought he summed it perfectly. He's a, he's a brilliant team man and we love having him around. Cool. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Baron, there was a real lot to like about that, but it must be sort of pulling the air out that you didn't get the points. Yeah, I can't keep pulling it out, I'll have none left. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a bit more philosophical now, I was gutted in there for the first, first portion, but we knew this road where we're trying to get to wasn't going to be easy, wasn't going to have little hurdles, and so I'd, you can be glass half full or half empty sort of guy, I think we'll get some really good lessons out of that. And, well, as a coaching group, we'll, we'll take some good things away from that and tweak a bit how we coach and how we train to, to make us better because, yeah, I felt we dominated most aspects of that game. We just haven't quite figured out the winning part of it yet. But full credit to Queensland, they've done. They've obviously potentially a bit like us, but four or five years ago, and now they've got into a winning habit the last two years. They know how to, they know how to win. So uh, that's our goal over the next, next season is to learn that. Darren, Ben Donaldson tonight, some really good touches, obviously dropping back and made a drop goal when it mattered, um, a couple of other probably errors along the way. Is that just all part of the, the journey that the young number 10 and a night like that is probably a, a great experience for him? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I think as you get older, your consistency gets better. Um, yeah, that's exactly the answer to your question. I just think he'll, he'll get better. Like he's, doing five good things and five bad things at the moment. But once they get up to six and seven, eight out of 10, then he's, he starts becoming world class. Um, 
but he's got the ability to do it. He's just got to get the temperament and the mental focus to be able to do it on uh, clutch and key times. But um, yeah, we'll definitely we're not we're not giving up. We'll back him for sure. And you're able to open them up in attack despite the conditions tonight. A couple of times, nicely back down that short side with Jake involved and, and Alex going through there at times as well. I mean, that must be just a good point to, to take away from tonight. Yeah, it was, and, and full credit to Wits. Like he, uh, he he designs those plays and and orchestrated that and we got him twice with it so that's that exciting 11 pattern but even besides that set structured breaks we got him down the edges a few times as well and and yeah as i said the fabric of our game is there for the most part i'm i'm just pumped they have a go like at the moment they're, they're ripping in they're, they're trying their hardest and as i said to them there like at this point in time, that's all I've asked, is just they compete and they, they stay in the fight and they're doing that. Our next step for for us and the New South Wales public, if they're going to support us, is just getting that little bit more polish and and disciplined at key times and uh, and then we'll turn those close losses into wins. So building that winning habit you touched on your first question, is that all just about going through experiences like this and just growing from it, do you believe? Yeah, I've seen teams become really good losers, consistently losing. So it's more than just having to do it. You've you got to alter your mindset and alter how you train, I reckon, to, to switch that around and turn those, those less than seven losses. I have a bit of a theory on championship. In the, if, the, if a game's decided by seven or less, championship teams win eight of those ten contests. Teams that fall out of playoffs win three or four of them. And, Teams that get the playoffs sort of win five or six or seven. So at the moment, um, yeah, if I count the preseason, we've had three tight games. We've won two of them, we've hung on to win two of them, and we couldn't pull it off tonight. Um, but yeah, as, as long as we, we learn and progress, if we get in that same scenario next week and we, we butcher it again, then it looks like we're not getting any better. But it's definitely not. I'm not suicidal. I'll still have a beer and and uh, have a smile on my face tomorrow. At the same time, your uh, starting four was outstanding tonight. Yeah, they were. No, they well. Yeah, well, I, they're starting to think that hurts a bit now when you hear Queensland singing their song right next year. Um, uh, yeah, they've they've all got eyes on on bellies in the Wallaby system. Prex and Harry sort of had a sniff at it. They're both, they've all three of them have got their eyes on being the number one front row in Australia. So you'd expect them to dominate in those games and I, I hope they keep growing and, and doing it. And Jake, a lot to like from a lot of the players in the Waratahs tonight, but you were still in the fight right up to the end. What's the kind of thing that will move in the change room at the moment from the players? Um, oh, look, disappointed. Uh, I think for, for large points of that game, we were really dominant. Um, you know, up until pretty much the 70th minute, um, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit at the end with our execution. Um, but yeah, really disappointed. But um, you know, if I'm being completely honest, we progressed a lot too, um, and I think we're definitely headed in the right direction. And how did the boys find playing at Leichhardt? So much smaller ground than playing last week at Bankwest. Yeah, I love playing at Leichhardt. Um, Bankwest, Combank, is actually a great facility yeah. too, but. You know, I love the uh, the tribalism feel to Leichhardt Oval. Um, you know, it feels like uh, not amateur footy, but you get that real club sort of element to it. The hillside looked uh, pretty packed, actually. Um, 
and there was a lot of noise late. It was a really good atmosphere, and you know, especially in pretty pretty challenging conditions, it was great to see a turnout like that. What was the crowd? Four, five thousand. Nah, so sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eighty thousand. <000. laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the key for us is to get those key people coming back and. I feel like we let them down. I would love to have had those people leaving with that winning feeling, like, because then they're definitely coming back. Yeah. And then there'll be the negative Nellies that'll say we choked or whatever, and I get that. Um, but, yeah, at the moment, I'm just happy they're competing. I'm happy they're progressing forward. And I know it's cliche, but Rome wasn't built in a day, and we're, but we're definitely building it. Do you think the team's progressing faster than you initially expected when you took the job on? Is it just are you just seeing this vision slowly come to life? Is the Leichhardt Hill and the crowd at the end? You were saying is this just your vision slowly coming together? Oh, I don't think it's just my vision. I think everyone wants to be part of something special and something uh, something that everyone's bought into. But yeah, to be honest, like if you ask me, am I happy? Would I've taken where we're sitting right now? Round two, six points and know we can compete with the best Australian teams. Don't get me wrong, I know we've got another step up when we get to the Kiwis, but we'll worry about that in the second half. Um, yeah, I'm comfy. I'm comfy where we're at, definitely. We saw a little bit of niggle uh, part of the game, which we didn't see in the last two years. Does it mean that the world is getting a little bit more confident and Ready to face up with. Um, I mean, it means Jed's back, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think uh, since the games are so competitive, um, yeah, I think uh, there's definitely more feeling in the game. Um, you know, tempers flare when it's they're close contests like that. Um, but yeah, Jed's probably a big part of that too. Charlie Campbell had a great performance tonight, obviously, waiting on a return from Where's Carlo Tizano within the mix? Yeah, he's there. He, he's in and around. Um, Charlie's one of those players you have to probably, particularly in days like that, you have to analyse it, you have to see. Like You don't appreciate, I imagine he made 20 or 30 clean-outs and made 20 or 30 tackles. You don't really see that till you watch it closer. I don't, I'm not good enough to get that in one vision. Um, we went this week without a special seven. It's not unusual to carry a special seven on your bench. and. We just felt, obviously we needed a lot of coverage with Dugo. We felt that Lungy, he's been doing some good things. He's a project player and he's probably our most impactful ball running back rower. He's got speed and strong hips. So Charlie can go 80, he showed he could go 80. Although Carlo gives us good energy, he gave us decent energy when he came on. Um, we just thought the balance of the, of the bench was better with an 8-6 as opposed to a pure 7. Um, that's it. But no, Carlo was, pre-Christmas, Carlo was our best player. We had a couple of practice matches pre-Christmas and he was literally our best player. And he just got injured at the wrong time in the trials. Charlie came in, got better each trial. He had that outstanding game in trial three against Queensland and he's just got the spot at the moment. And, and there's a few like that, like our back three. I've got three others sitting there that could jump in and do just as good a job as the three that are there. But the noses are just in front at the moment and they've just got to be patient and wait their turn. And Hooper's only got a few weeks until he's back in the team. Is he really going to have to push to get that starting seven again? Michael Hooper? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I reckon he'll be a chance of a run. <laughs> but again, he'll, he'll be a bit, 
bit short on game time, so he'll have to build his minutes up as he comes. So Charlie will be valuable. And the beauty of Charlie is he can play six. Carlo's a smaller seven, he's an out-and-out -out seven. Charlie's got ball carry and a few other things, so he could comfortably be that utility bench role. He could he could even start at six or eight. Like we'll get we'll get more injuries. We've still got Raboni sitting out at the moment. We'll hopefully get back in the next couple of weeks. He's a powerhouse as well. So um, yeah, it's a good it's, it'd be a good headache to back get back if we had excess good players.